0: Good morning, Pathway Church. It's good to see you today. Uh, Those of you who are here present and also those who are online, uh, we are so glad that you're here. As I was driving in this morning, I was praying about this church. And, uh, you know, sometimes you look forward to things. And I look forward to see what God is going to do in this place because we're just on the verge of something great for God. I really believe that. And uh, I'm excited about what he's going to do, and I hope you are too. For most of us, it's not too hard to believe that God is a holy and awesome God. But it's a little tougher when we start thinking that God has asked us to be holy, you know, and, and, and what that means. And often when we think about holiness, it becomes rules and regulations. And it's interesting as we or going through this series of rootedness, this morning we're going to talk about that whole subject of holiness and what that means. If I'm correct in assuming that you believe God's worthy of our praise, that Jesus is worthy of our praise and our worship and our obedience, what does that mean? What must I do? What must I give up? What must I change in order to be the disciple that God wants me to be? Another way of asking that question is simply this. What's the goal of your spiritual life? What's the goal of your spiritual life? If I go to a financial counselor and try to figure out, okay, how, how could I retire? Uh, they're going to ask me some questions. Where do you want to be 10 years from now, 20 years from now? And based on my answers, they'll tell me, this is what you need to do today. If I go to the gym... And I have a trainer, and uh, they'll ask me my goal. Do you want to, you know, get bigger somewhere, or you want bigger arms? Do you want to lose weight? Do you want to tone up? And based on my answers, that will be my plan. Spiritually, if my spiritual goal is more than just to get to heaven. But if my spiritual goal is to effectively be obedient to Christ and to lead others into following Christ, that needs to start today. And what does that mean? What am I supposed to do? Some people believe that growing in Christ is knowing more. If I read more books, if I can quote more scripture, then I can be the person God wants me to be. If I can just know some more. Uh, When I was in college, I was in a Greek class, kind of. It took me more than I took it. But I'm in Greek class, and we had this one student. His name was Kent. He was brilliant. And one day, the Greek professor forgot his Greek Bible. And he turned to Kent, and he said, Kent, John chapter 6, beginning with verse 5, would you tell us what that says? And he quoted it verbatim. And I'm sitting there thinking, wow, he was brilliant. He knew so much. 20 years later, Kent died in you know, a Denver hospital from AIDS, cut off from his family, cut off from his faith, cut off from the Christian community. Becoming an informed person will not by itself make you a disciple. Coming to church and taking lots of notes while I think it's a good thing, will not make you a disciple by itself. Others believe that becoming who we're supposed to be in our walk with God is determined by our outward appearance, how we dress, how we talk, what we do, what we don't do. It's interesting in the New Testament, uh, during the rabbinical period, 90% of the conversation about the law was on these three subjects, circumcision, dietary laws, and Sabbath keeping. Now, I know those are all dear to your heart this morning, you know, and that's, that's exactly what you said. I want to hear about that today, you know. Those are burning topics. I was at a meeting with some ministers several years ago, and I was usually kind of the, the more casual guy, you know. Uh, now, you got to realize this is the 90s. Most of the guys were wearing three-piece suits and shirts and ties. And I would come in a you know, sweater with no tie. And I thought, man, I'm pretty hip here, you know. And then this one guy shows up, and he's got hair down on his shoulders and an earring and a T-shirt and blue jeans. And I go, what's his story? And then he shared his story. Every week, he worked with an organization called Young Life, and he witnessed to some of the toughest kids in the city of Lexington about Jesus. I remember thinking, Lord, it would have been so easy for me to have evaluated him on his appearance and not on what he was doing and on his heart. The point is, getting conformed and looking like everybody else does not make us a disciple of Christ, you know? You may look just like everybody else. You may have a really big black Bible. You may go to prayer breakfasts, and you may be just this amazing, devoted person. But if your heart is not beating after Christ and loving other people, you're not his disciple. If you struggle at times knowing how to live your life each day and how to achieve this ultimate goal of, of walking with Christ, can you imagine what it was like in the days of Abraham and Moses, you know. Here's this awesome holy God, and here they are knowing they're a sinful people, and they're going, how in the world can I ever match up to what God wants me to be? We can sing about how awesome God is, and we can sing these beautiful songs about how holy God is, but in the Old Testament, they saw it firsthand. You know, they experienced God in a way that most of us probably never have in Exodus chapter 19 verses 16 through 19 we're told that when God showed up at Mount Sinai there was a trumpet that sounded and everyone in the camp trembled think about it what it would be like to be in that group of Jewish people and God comes and it says on the morning of the third day there was thunder and lightning With a thick cloud over the mountains and a very loud trumpet blast, everyone in the camp trembled. They were scared to death. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. That had to be both awe-inspiring and terrifying at the same time. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it, and the smoke from the furnace, the whole mountain trembled violently. And the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Then Moses spoke. And here's the scary part. (laughs) The voice of God answered him. Wow. Well, if you're praying sometime and God says, I hear that prayer, let me talk to you a minute. You know. Whoa. The trumpet was not blown by the priest. It was blown by God himself announcing his presence. It was awe-inspiring and frightening at the same time. In other places, we find God showing up in a burning bush, speaking to Moses. And Moses takes off his shoes because he knows he's on holy ground. We're told over and over in Scripture, Old and New Testament, that God is holy. Leviticus 11, I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourself and be holy because I'm holy. To make it even more difficult, this holy God wants us to be holy. 1 Peter, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Holy. Then 1 Thessalonians says, for God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. You know what that sounds like? That sounds like mission impossible, right? You know, you look at your life and and who you are and you say, God is is here and I'm here. How do we put those two things together? Because our attitude toward holiness is much lower than God's attitude toward holiness, you know? Our thoughts of purity are much lower than God's thoughts of purity. So we find ourselves, we don't stack up real well. You know, we kind of judge ourselves by how everybody else is doing. I'm better than those guys. So, you know, I I must be a pretty good guy. That's not God's standard. You know, in our food in this country, the Food and Drug Administration, they they set standards for what's quality food and what you can eat. And uh, they are in charge of the purity of the food that you eat. However, what they consider pure might surprise you. This comes directly from the Food and Drug Administration, apple butter. If apple butter averages four or more rodent hairs per 100 grams, or if it averages five or more whole insects, not counting mites and aphids, mites and aphids don't really matter, uh, they're okay. The FDA will pull that off the shelves. Otherwise, slap it on your toast. Mushrooms, when you get 15 grams of mushrooms, they're okay unless they contain an average of 20 or more maggots of any size, Fig paste, if there are more than 13 insect heads per 100 grams, the FDA will toss it out. Evidently the other body parts are okay, but if there's the, the, you know, the 15, 13 insect heads. Coffee beans, all you caffeine addicts out there, get a little nervous. Coffee beans are withdrawn from the market if they average more than 10% of infestation from insects. Hot dogs, you don't even want to know. (laughs) Now, most of us probably wish that the FDA standards were a little higher for hot dogs and for fig paste. It's not as pure as we would like for it to be. Our hearts, our talk, our actions are not as pure as God would like for them to be. We live in a very impure, sin-filled world, don't we? How can we become holy people, the people God's called us to be? First, we have to recognize that it's God himself who placed the desire for holiness in your heart. He put it there. You know, you're going along and all of a sudden you realize, I think there's another level I could live at. I'm not sure this this is all God wants from me. I I feel like there's more that he wants to do in my life. This is the key thought I want you to understand. God wants to do more in most of us than most of us want him to do. God wants to do more in most of us than most of us really want him to do. You are meant to be holy. Holy. And holy simply means to be set apart for a special purpose. God has set each of us apart to do his purpose that he has for your life and for my life in this world. When a vessel was set apart in the Old Testament, the vessel was not holy. Its purpose was holy. Its function was to glorify God. That's the function that God has in each of our lives. And that he wants to perform in each of our lives to create in us the ability to glorify him and bring glory to him. As we watch the Israelites gather at the base of that mountain with Moses, they're in a relationship with a holy God, but yet they are steeped in sin. And today as we stand in the presence of God, we too are tainted with sin. Romans says all have sinned. And come short of the glory of God. And yet we're drawn to holiness. We hunger for it and we know we need it. But we also fear it because we wonder how could I ever be holy in God's sight? Before the gift of Jesus, who took on our sins and who covered them with his precious blood, when we came before a holy God, we did it through blood sacrifice of animals. God's desire was to help people stay in relationship with him, and so he gave us the law. And the purpose of the law was to help us to be obedient to it so that we would become more and more like our heavenly father. That didn't work out real well. These laws were given to redeem us and to help us to become a holy priesthood and a holy nation. Some of the laws And the Ten Commandments are pretty straightforward, right? Don't steal other people's stuff. Don't kill anybody. But then there's some laws that God gave that are a little strange. And the reason they're a little strange is because they were for a particular time in a particular place. For example, there's a law in Deuteronomy about farming. When you beat the olives from your trees, do not go over a second time. Well, there's a reason for this sloppy farming. God had a purpose in mind. It's revealing the heart of God. They were to leave the olives on the tree for this purpose. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the the fatherless, and the widow. Leave some for the poor. Now, most of us don't grow olives today, but the law hasn't changed. Leave some out of your abundance for the poor of your resources. The point is, the law given to Moses by God was not to become the source of nitpicking that the Pharisees made it. You know, how many steps can you walk on the Sabbath? And all those laws they had, you know, they took the the Ten Commandments and they got almost 6,000 laws about them. You know, you can't do this. You can not do this. God was concerned not with obeying the nitpicking stuff. He's concerned with our heart. God's always been concerned with transforming our heart. Some laws were ritual and ceremonial laws, like worship and the sacrificial system. The law of circumcision was an example of a ritual law. In the New Testament, when Jesus came, he surpassed all those ritual laws. He fulfilled all those ritual laws. He was the ultimate sacrifice that makes our sacrifices meaningless. So, because of him, you don't have to bring a lamb today to sacrifice. Aren't you glad? <laughs> you know, that'd be kind of messy. Uh, in Christ, holiness moves from an outward keeping of the law to a matter of the heart. We're told that we tend to look on the outside of a person, Jesus looks at their heart. Jesus didn't come to abolish the Old Testament law. He came to fulfill it and to give us a new understanding of it. Jesus knew that I could not be holy by myself. He knew that I couldn't change my heart by my willpower. I can't grip my teeth and say, okay, God, I'm going to do it right this time. And then we fail again. I need to change the root. I need to change my heart. And the heart change comes by confessing my sin and allowing his Holy Spirit to come into my life and to begin to transform me through his power and through his action. And it's not an immediate zap. You know, when we come to Christ, you say, why don't you just make me holy, you know, and just take away all my bad desires and take away my selfishness, take away my pride and just make me that way. But he wants us to grow and mature into who he wants us to become through Acts of obedience over and over and over again. So when I come to Christ, I'm forgiven and I'm clean, but I'm also a work in progress. He's not finished with me. I've got rough edges that he needs to fix in my life. And he begins to transform me so that my heart beats like his. But that's a process. If you desire a transformed life today, If you truly want to be a disciple that Jesus has called you to be, then you have to have a strategy. What's your strategy for discipleship? What's your plan for growing in Christ? As followers of Christ, we must attune our hearts to God to the point where we notice when God is present. And we act in obedience to his presence. Being holy is recognizing God's claim on our life, not just our spiritual lives, but all of our lives. So what does that look like in in real life? Ken Geyer is one of my favorite authors. He's written 20 books, but one of my favorites is Windows of the Soul. And in that book, he shares a story that I think makes holiness very practical He said he came home one Sunday afternoon and was trying to clear the clutter from his soul. But he realized he had a deadline on a book that he had to write. And so that afternoon he was going to be writing his book. But his teenage daughter came to him and she asked him if he would take her to a roller hockey game. Because she had promised Joey that she would come. Joey had cerebral palsy. He was a young kid. And she had promised she would come and watch his game. And Ken thought, well, you know, I can find a corner in the gym somewhere and work on my stuff and and let her do what she's promised. When he gets there, she points out, Joey, he's the goalie. And she goes and joins four other of her friends who sit behind Joey. And the game begins, and the first time Joey lets a goal go through, they lean over the rail and say, it's okay, Joey, nice try, You're, you're doing well. And then he blocks one. Yay, Joey! And Ken put down his papers because he sensed something was happening there that he needed to see. And he said, it took a while for the scene to really become clear in my eyes. I realized there are many ways that a person can be impoverished And sometimes the least of our impoverishment is material. Joey's poverty was not material. He needed something that money couldn't buy. He needed friends. He needed someone that would speak to him in the hallway. Someone who would sit with him at lunch. Someone who would drive across town to go to a hockey game and encourage and cheer him on. Joey's Impoverishment made him try so hard to be liked. He asked people to look past his slurred words and his awkward gait. He begs them to see Joey. And sometimes in his frustration, it came out as anger and bouts of depression. Fred Bueller says if we love our neighbors before anything else, we have to see our neighbors. See, not just their faces, but the face behind the mask. Ken Geyer said that day, I looked past a hockey mask. I looked past cerebral palsy. And I saw Joey. He said, then I began to ask, what else am I missing? I'm missing five teenagers could have been playing video games talking with each other on the phone but instead they're leaning over the rail encouraging a kid "way to go joey" they weren't preoccupied with themselves they were preoccupied with joey watching him encouraging him cheering him and as they did a gift exchanged hands, a gift not seen by either the giver or the receiver, but a gift the father sees in secret. He saw it, he took note of it, and he treasured it. Ken thought, my daughter asked to be there because she had promised. And she had promised to someone to whom promises weren't so much broken as just simply forgotten. King Guy realized that at that hockey game, he had seen something sacred, something dear to God, something holy. And he began to wonder, how many windows am I missing where God reveals opportunities to see his presence and to know that you're on holy ground? What Ken is calling holiness is people set apart by God, showing God's priority, which is always people. Holiness results in actions of the heart. Holiness begins with a heart change. Holiness is not in us, it's in the Father. So it's the Father who has to change our hearts. It's God who sets us apart. His purity could not overlook the ugliness and sin of our lives. That's because, and because of that, at first he had animal sacrifices, and finally he sent his only son to cover our sins. Our path to a relationship with the holy God begins with repentance and acceptance of his grace that he makes available to us. Our heart change continues as we're transformed more and more into his presence, I love 2 Corinthians chapter 3, it says, And we who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image by ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. I began this sermon by asking, how do we achieve the goal of our spiritual lives? It begins with forgiveness, but it also requires obedience. Dr. Bill Bright used to pray every day of his life, this prayer, Lord today, you can use my hands, you can use my feet, you can use my brain, you can use my mouth for your purpose. I want your agenda, not mine. Feel free to interrupt my plans for the day. I want to be yours. What if we began every day with that prayer? When Moses went up to the mountain, it was an awesome thing. He would spend time in the very presence of God. And what was amazing, when he came down from the mountain, everybody knew he'd been with God. Why? Because his face glowed. His face shone with the, showed with the glory of God. It was an amazing thing. And if you recall later, Moses had the people build the tabernacle, and when it was finished, the glory of God came down, the Shekinah glory, God's presence with us, and it was awesome, so awesome that Moses couldn't go in and Aaron couldn't go in. When Solomon built the temple, the same thing happened. The glory cloud of God came down and filled the temple, and it was so powerful, the priests couldn't even stand to serve. And people could not even come in because of the incredible experience of his presence. We sometimes sing in an old chorus that says, surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. You ever walked into a room and somehow you knew God was there? It it was awe-inspiring. You didn't quite know what to say or Quite know what to do. But later in Ezekiel, he looked at God's people and they'd become kind of half hearted in their faith. And he saw the cloud, God's visible presence, depart the temple. And he looked inside the temple and he saw the priests inside the temple. And he saw the people doing what they always did and they didn't even realize the glory of God had left that place. And I painfully confess there have been times in my life that I've found myself going through the motions, doing what I've always done. I've been doing this for a long time. And suddenly I realized the presence of God had left the room. And I've told the Lord more than once, that's not the life I want to live. I want to live my life in such a way that sets it apart for his purpose, not for mine, but for his. That they may see his purpose, not mine. Past faith, past success, and dependency on God is no guarantee of the future faithfulness. Few heroes in both the Old and New Testament end heroically. Chip Ingram shares that it's a sad pattern that many Christians coast or fade badly at the end of the race. They start well, finish poorly. Once they experienced success because they trusted God and were desperate for God, but then sometimes one of two things happens to us. We take success and its results for granted and we become arrogant and prideful? Or we forget the process that God used to get us where we are and we put God in the corner of our lives? Survival gradually replaces a heart fully devoted to God. So let me ask you this morning is your life being lived as a life set apart for God's purpose, holy? How do you spend your time? What are you thinking about? How's your quiet time? Have you been loving God with your actions, with your resources? You see, God's not interested in your spiritual life. God's interested in all your life, every part of it. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads for a moment. I want you to think about these questions that I just ask you and ask the Holy Spirit to help you answer them. Is your life set apart for his purpose? What do you spend your time thinking about? How's your quiet time? Have you been loving God with your actions? God has asked us to come to him and be set apart and be holy for him. For that to happen, What needs to change in your life? Do you need more information? Or do you need a transformed heart? In the United States, 95% of what we call spirituality takes place on Sunday morning. In the Bible, 95% of spirituality is what we do with our lives. Perhaps today you want to be more sensitive to the Holy Spirit. To recognize and see those holy moments like with Joey when God wants to work through us and God wants to change us, let's pray. Father, we come, we know that we cannot be pure except by your grace. We know that only you can make us holy, set apart for the special purpose that you have for each of us. We don't wanna just go through the motions of church. We want to glow with your heart transforming love. We would welcome you to begin a process at this very moment to change us so that when people are with us, just like Moses, they will know, they will know that we have been with you. Father, that's our deepest desire today. We pray this in the holy name of Jesus. Amen. This morning, as you stand to sing, if God's Spirit is speaking to you, if there's something in your life that you know you need to give him so that you can be set apart for his purpose. Our altars are always open. We ask you to keep some social distancing, but we know that God is here. Let his Holy Spirit set you apart.
1: Sense your love and your grace and your mercy and compassion on us. And we walk out of here with a new, revived spirit, knowing that you are—you um, are for us, and not against us. You are with us, and not some faraway God that is unreachable. And God, may we be more than information gatherers and knowledge gatherers. Oh, God, may we invest in a relationship with you. That's part of the reason why Jesus went to the cross and died, is to have a personal relationship with him, with you. So thank you, Lord, for what you've done in this place, in our lives, in our hearts. May we retain it. May we hold on to it, Lord, and not forget this week. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name that we pray all these things. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Be safe. We love you, church.